Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. I can assure you that the weather in Ballarat yesterday and today is beautiful, just as what it is here. I'm sure you all know that um, coming from Ballarat, people always talk about the weather as not being something that's nice, but I can assure you that it is. I'm really encouraged that you're doing the 40 days in the Word. We had the privilege several years ago at our church of doing 40 days in the Word and we did see it make a huge difference as it placed an emphasis on the Word of God and what that means to us personally and practically. You've been immersing yourself, I trust, in the Word of God over the past several weeks and as we come to the end over the next couple of weeks, It's not about saying, well, what's the next series that we're going to do? It's about how do we keep this going? How do we make the commitment to continuing in God's word? I was really encouraged when Brett was talking about God's presence and about enjoying God's presence and coming into God's presence. Maybe we should retitle this sermon, I was thinking. Brother Brother Lawrence wrote a little book called Practising the Presence of God. And it was all about just that. How do I live a life that every part of my life I experience God's presence? Not just when I read his word, not just when we come together as a group of people, but how do we keep that momentum going all through the day, all through the night, even when we don't feel like it? Jesus said, and we better get this going, let's see if we can make this work. So we're doing this but here's this verse. What I want most of all and at all times is to honour your laws. The psalmist said this and he said that this is really important because what I want to do is at all times honour your laws. Thank you, Brett. And Jesus said that if you continue in my word then you're really my followers. You're really my disciples. How do we integrate God's word into every part of our lives? Some of you might have wasted your time watching the grand final yesterday. (laughs) The game has changed completely, hasn't it? You know, supposedly there's a lot of set plays and people overseas look at it and say it looks like aerial ping pong to me with a ball just bouncing around. But what's interesting, and I was reading something just recently, I enjoy the footy, but I was reading recently about how all of these set plays are practised so often that it becomes routine that the players react instinctively when a player of theirs gets the ball in a particular part of the ground. Now, we mightn't see that, but that apparently is where it is, that they're so well drilled that they don't stop and think, where do I run, what do I do? They just instinctively do it. If you joined the SAS, you would be trained to act instinctively on a set of circumstances because if you stopped in a situation to think, oh, are they the enemy? What do I do here? They'll have taken you out. You need to act instinctively. You see, that's the challenge that we face this morning and we face every day is how do we react instinctively to the word of God, to God's truth, in our lives. How do we get to the point that whatever situation that we find ourselves in, that we react instinctively as God would have us to? 
Integration is the opposite of segregation. We're very, very good at segregating our lives. I'm sure each one of us would say and have some goals for what we're going to do at school and what we're going to do at home and what we're going to be involved in at church and where we're going to go for our holidays that for whatever reason our society wants us to compartmentalise our lives and that's what we do, don't we? We pull them all apart. I enjoy eating oranges. I've never ever described an orange to someone as saying, boy, the peel's really good. And it's just fantastic when you pull the pith out and you pick all the pips out and then you break it up into each of its segments and you line them all up and then you eat them one by one. We don't do that, do we? And yet in our lives, for some reason, we tend to compartmentalise them. What we need to do is to integrate our lives so that we act with integrity. That's our challenge this morning. We're sitting here. Do we act differently and behave differently in church than we do at work? Is our language different when we're with a certain group of people than when we're with another group of people? I met up with a really good Christian friend just recently and I was surprised that there were two words that he seemed to me to deliberately use in our conversation that just he would never have normally used. And I just thought, oh, why? Why? You see, it's in the little things, isn't it, about the integrity of our lives, of being consistent. And that's what God calls us to do. And how does that happen? How do we get to act instinctively? What's the most important thing to happen? We've got to have a desire. I don't enjoy the golf but it was interesting with all the hoo-ha around Jason Day becoming the number one golfer in the the world for a week. Um, But that was okay. But it was interesting reading some of the things about it that what drove him in the interviews, that's what it had been. I've had this desire that I'm going to be the number one golfer in the world and it drove him to practice, it drove him to persist in difficult times, it drove him to discipline himself when his dad brought home that first golf club which he got out of the rubbish tip and gave it to his son, to Jason when he was a little bloke and he started to swing it and he had this natural inclination to hit the ball that his dad said, yeah, he's going to be really good. He had this desire What is it for you and I? If we're going to act instinctively and integrate God's word into our lives, we've got to have a desire. If we don't have the desire, then we won't do it. What I want most of all, at all times, is to have God's word in my life, to honour God's laws. There's three things that we can do that I want to talk us through this morning to become a person of the word of God which I know many of you already are and you're continuing and you've been able to have this revision and reminder over these past few weeks but to keep reminding ourselves that it's critical to become a person of God's word. So how do I integrate God's word? I build on it and I know Alan finished off his sermon last week with these verses that uh, Evan read for us. Structures are really important. Now, I don't know whether you know that structure. That's the eighth tallest building in the world there on the left. 
It's the Shanghai Financial Centre. But what struck me, I enjoy watching megastructures on um, Cali. I don't know whether you've ever watched that show and if you're an engineer, it's just amazing. But the foundation of that building, which goes almost half a kilometre into the, into the air, is built on 2,200 piles that have all been driven 250 feet into the ground. Now that's amazing, isn't it, when you think about that? just to ensure that that foundation is good enough. But in 2009 in China, you can see down there in the bottom right, and I remember this happening, that they built those buildings so quickly without putting attention into the foundations that they fell over. Fortunately, no one was hurt because they weren't yet open and people weren't living in them. And only last week, wasn't it, a week and a half ago, the sinkhole that just opened up we enjoy caravanning. I was so thankful that I wasn't up there with my caravan and vehicle. But that would have been so frightening that all of a sudden the ground, the foundation just disappeared. You see, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The truth never changes and so when we build our lives on the truth of God's word we'll be able to stand up. You know when the shifting sands of opinion and troubles come if we're building on those sands our lives will fall apart. Did you used to have Sunday school prizes and uh, you'd get a book given to you? I got a lot of arch, do you remember the arch books um, telling the stories, the parables of Jesus? And I got one about the house on the rock and the house on the sand and when you opened it up it had a big cliff and it had the house on the rock standing up there, obviously a great foundation and it had the sand down by the river here and the house, do you remember that? That's not what Jesus was talking about. That gave me a wrong picture of this passage. No, Jesus was saying there's two people sitting side by side in the pew here in church. You look the same. You've had the same input. And it looks that life's going along just great. But when difficulties come, one of you falls apart and the other is able to hold together. And you've seen that often in people's lives around you. I'm so encouraged for the example of my dad at the moment. Dad's 88 but he's been in and out of hospital. We thought that he might be with Jesus soon but I was reflecting on it and I've had some lovely chats with him over recent months that I've never heard my dad complain. He's a farmer and it'd be drought and there wouldn't be much to put on the table but he never complained about it. And here he's been in and out of hospital and I haven't heard him complaining. It's always been, boy, the doctors are great, aren't they? Isn't it wonderful that we've got these facilities? And yeah, it's okay if I go to be with Jesus because that'll be far better. You see, in the midst of difficulties, whether it's a good outcome for us or not, Jesus said, that in the midst of the circumstances, if we're built on the foundation of God's word, our lives won't fall apart. I don't know what you're going through at the moment. 
Maybe there's some real difficulties. Maybe you've got a friend or a family member that is absolutely a mess in pieces. If we can integrate God's word into our lives, when those times come, we'll be able to stand. But see, sadly, too often, people build on things like popular culture. I'll just do this because that's what everyone else is doing. Ever have that problem, particularly at school? It's really hard, isn't it? I want to wear the same as what the other kids are wearing. I want to have the same sort of car that other people are driving. I want to feel like I fit in. It's a really sad state of affairs, isn't it? When popular opinion is going to determine what our culture does about marriage. You see, the truth of God's word says some things about that. But where supposedly, and maybe we think it's a better thing than the parliament deciding, but to think that we can have popularism determine what our moral values are is an absolute nonsense, isn't it? And it's going to cause our society, if we keep building on those sorts of foundations, to fall apart. I wonder if you have a view on things like marriage. Do you have a good articulated understanding of what God's word says about that? It's important that we do. And there are many issues like that. What does God's word say? Not what others think, not what popular opinion thinks. God says, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong because the crowd is often wrong. But sometimes we build on tradition. Many people build their lives on tradition. That's what we've always done. That's where we always go for holidays. I couldn't stand that, but I know that Heather had a girlfriend that always went to the same place every year for holidays because that's where our family goes for holidays. It might have been a good thing, but... You know, no tradition lasts forever. Now, tradition's not bad because tradition is usually there because it's been a good thing but then so often we forget the reason for why the tradition came in the first place and then consequently we are get caught by just following that. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He said, you've let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to the traditions of men. I was thinking about this, thinking about Christmas. So it was lovely to see the little advert for the Christmas boxes and can I encourage you to take that up? But if we think about Christmas, in so many ways that's become a tradition. It's already starting to be advertised, you know, what are you going to buy people for Christmas? And all of those presents. Now, giving gifts is a good thing. It started because Jesus was the greatest gift that's been given to us. But I wonder if you think about this in your family now, that you will have traditions around the giving of gifts. Have we lost the purpose for why we give those gifts? Do we agonise about, is this gift expensive enough for this member of the family? Do we continue to give people things that they don't really need, but... That's what we need to do because we've got to give some gifts. 
and I had the privilege of taking a funeral service for an older lady in our church just a month ago. And you always learn things about people, don't you, when at a funeral that you, you never knew. And Annie, a godly single old lady, had a really caring family but they didn't share her faith. But it was interesting as the nephew got up and read the eulogy, this is what he said. He said, perhaps the thing we remember most about Annie was her selfless devotion to those less fortunate. For Annie, possessions didn't make her happy, but helping others to have a better life did. And at Christmas time, as a family, we all learnt to respect her wishes that she didn't need any more things to gather dust and instead found joy in donations being made on her behalf. Between us at Christmas time, we've given her a menagerie of farm animals in third world countries, water filtration systems, hugs, school packs, literacy programs, homeless packs and much more. Every Christmas we would sit around and hand out presents and of course this was great time for the kids but Annie came first and as the person distributing the gifts would draw out and read each present for Annie, a duck for a child in Africa, a learning pack for a disadvantaged child, a childcare kit for a young mother and so on. But more than watching the joy on Annie's face as each of these gifts arrived was the lesson my children learnt first hand when as part of their Christmas gifts it included a gift to someone less fortunate. I share that because Annie had an impact in changing a tradition and making sure that the essence of what that tradition was there for was put in place. It wasn't just, well, maybe we'll do a Christmas box this year for Samaritan's Purse because that's a good thing, but we'll still go ahead and we'll still spend the eons of money that we have to give our family gifts of things that they don't need. I wonder if this is something that as we instinctively react to God's word in our lives this Christmas, will it cause us to give different gifts and will it cause us to think differently about the purpose of Christmas as we interact with our family around those gifts? What about building on reason? There's a way that seems right unto a man but in the end it leads to death. We like to think that we're logical, don't we, in making our decisions and that's the right thing to do. This seems to be the right job for me. This seems to be the right place for me to build a house or to invest. But you know, logic doesn't always come into it when we're following God's word. You know, Peter would never have got out of the boat based on normal reasoning, would he? You know, Hudson Taylor would never have gone to China based on normal reasoning. Many of you folk here that have gone and served as missionaries or continue to go across the street and do things that the world around would say, that doesn't make sense, I don't know why they're doing it. You see, we need to build our lives by faith on the word of God. And the other one we really need to avoid building our lives on is emotion. Do you know anyone that you've got to treat with kid gloves when they get out of bed in the morning? You know, because they're so moody 
or that you go to work or wherever it might be and you say, I don't know what sort of day this person had yesterday because the reaction that I get from them will depend on their emotion. We've got to be careful because so often we can live our lives by our feelings, doing what we think feels right. What did judges say? At that time there was no king in Israel and people did whatever they felt like doing. I was trying to think of an example of this that was a really common one. The world tells you to marry the person that you love, doesn't it? Man, I mean, that's what makes me attractive. I saw some evidence of that at a party on Saturday night. A couple of young couples, you know, of people that are related and they're falling in love, you know, and it's really fun to watch on one hand. But it made me think of a guy in our church, an Indian guy, Raj, who, lovely guy, is just finishing up a mining engineering degree in Ballarat and he's about to head over to Canada to do a master's but on his way he's going home via India to get married to a person he's never met, to a person he's never spoken to. His mum and dad are keen Christians, her mum and dad are keen Christians and they've arranged this marriage for Raj. Now that just seems so crazy to us, doesn't it? And yet Raj just confidently says, well look, I love my mum and dad and trust them and the Bible doesn't tell me to marry the one I love. It tells me to love the one I marry. Easy to say, isn't it? But you see, if our society and in our relationships, if we love the one that we marry, then it's going to be really hard for that marriage to break up, isn't it? Because I'm going to do everything I can to maintain that relationship. You know, and just in our society, because we're Christians, doesn't mean our marriage is going to hold together. Can I encourage us to love your partner, to love your spouse? Now, sadly, some things do happen and marriages do break for various reasons. But it shouldn't be able to happen easily just because I fall out of love and we don't share the same goals anymore. Instinctively, I want you, when you have those doubts of saying, should I stay in this relationship, to say, what does God's word say? How should I react? No, I will hang in there through God's strength. Indeed. Once we've built on God's word and we keep building it in to our lives, we need to feed on it, don't we? And when we feed on it, we'll grow. The Bible uses lots of words for food. I am amazed at the number of tally shows that talk about food. Now, hands up if you watch these shows on food on tally. Yeah, some of you. Well, I'm encouraged that not everyone went like that because it just seems that food is being made of God and it's amazing. This is what I'm doing for this meal but there's just such this love for food. 
I wonder if we have that same love for spiritual food, for God's word. Do we hold our Bible and say, wow, isn't this wonderful? Isn't it great? Do you know what I found in it this morning? And do you know what? I had the opportunity of talking with someone about this and do you know I was just so encouraged that when that situation happened that the first thing that came to mind was no, no, God wouldn't want me to do that. That instinctively I started to react as God's word would have me to. I don't know, did anyone leave without having breakfast this morning? We didn't, did we? Did we read the word of God? Are we making sure that we're not just doing it once a day but constantly as we reflect on it? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell permanently and at home within us so that we will know what God wants us to do. How do we build on God's word? How do we feed on God's word? These are revisions, so I'll just run through these quickly. You had a full sermon on these very early on. But we feed on it by receiving it with our ears. You listen to it as you drive to work in the car. Whatever it might be, can I say, make sure that you keep reading the Bible from the platform. Did you know you can go to churches and the Bible's never read? Lots of songs sung, but the Bible's never read. The most important thing it's been said that we can do when we come together as a group of God's people is to publicly read and listen to the word of God. Absolutely crucial. I've got a, um, the second thing we can do is obviously read it with my eyes. Got a new friend, I only met him this year, an older guy, wanted to get involved in Bible study and I started meeting with him and asking him, well, how did you become a Christian and he said well some things happened and late last year a friend gave me a Bible and he said I started reading it and as I read it and as I read it and he said over a month I all of a sudden realised I was a different person and I wanted to study this more and so he's got involved in a Bible study that I'm involved in and it is just so encouraging to see him just reading and soaking up God's word because he delights in it. He is so excited by it. And as we were hearing this morning about researching it with our hands and our mouths, about making sure that we're interacting with others about it, that we're actually involved in a KYB or a BSF or a home group or something like that because, yes, it's good to study the Bible by yourself but very few of us have the discipline to be able to make sure that we do that. So can I encourage you to be part of a Bible study and to reflect on it with my mind, to do that thinking when I'm on the train, where it might be, so that I remember it with my heart. You know, there's a difference between remembering it with your mind and remembering it with your heart and maybe you don't even remember it. I remember being really upset as a teenager that I wasn't, for whatever reason, I was learning scripture and I wasn't remembering it and I was talking to my older brother about it and Ron said to me, he said, hey Keith, he said, listen, what matters is that you keep trying to learn it. 
He said, and he gave me this illustration. He said, if you looked at a sieve that's used for, you know, a cradle for panning for gold. And he said, you know, you put the dirt in and then you pour the water in and you shake it and all the dirt goes through and the gold comes out the bottom. And he says, you look at the sieve. Is the sieve dirty or clean? I said, oh, it's spotless because the water's just pouring over it all the time. And he said, that's exactly how it is with God's word. Even if you think you can't remember it, as you pour it through your mind, Peter says the washing of the word renews your mind. So can I encourage you when you feel discouraged that you can't remember it or you've read a passage and then you get to the end and you say, what did I read? Can I encourage you to keep reading it because it will keep washing through your mind and it will make a difference. And so we remember it with our hearts. We put it in to our souls. I don't know, Ken, is Nick driving one of these? John Deere tractors. Why have I put that there? I was thinking about this. I grew up with a boy at school. He wasn't recognised as being a good student. In actual fact, he was considered quite simple. That supposedly he couldn't remember things and he didn't do very well in his tests and he was one of the bottom students in the class. But if you ask Peter anything about John Deere tractors, he knew it just like that. He could tell you every make, every model. He could tell you what the horsepower was. And the biggest thing that he just loved was when local farmers allowed him to get up on their John Deere tractor and drive it, sit in it. You see, it wasn't hard for him to learn because he wanted to. He absolutely loved John Deere tractors and he immersed himself in the magazines and the brochures and every opportunity he had to be engaged with it. That's what it needs to be with God's word. If we're just doing this as an exercise because we think that's what we should do, then we're going to learn lots and lots. We'll be able to exposit it and we'll be able to quote the books of the Bible and we'll be able to quote the verses. But unless there's the desire and the interest and the absolute just love of it, it's not going to make a difference in our lives. What is it for you at the moment that you just love reading or that you love buying online or that you love looking at? Is it the word of God? Is it things to do with God's word? You see, as we close, we live by the word of God when we're like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. Who's that? That's the person who loves God's word. That's the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, but his, her, delight is in the word of God. I'm a forester by training. The thing that stands out to me about that tree and why that tree is doing as well as it is is because of its position. 
if we want to integrate God's word into our lives, the fundamental thing will be the position we place ourselves in. If we choose to place ourselves in the study, if we choose to place ourselves in church, if we choose to place ourselves in Bible studies, if we choose to place ourselves having coffee with a person to talk about the word of God, if we choose to spend time in those things, then indeed we will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The challenge, if we want to integrate God's word into our lives, is have we got the desire and are we deliberately choosing to place ourselves in the right place where that desire will grow and be fed? It was said of John Bunyan, that great pilgrim, that great Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said that if you pricked him, he would bibble. He was so full of God's word that every time you poked or prodded him, that's what would come out. When Hudson Taylor used to interview mission candidates, he'd always put a glass of water on the table in front and during it, sometimes he'd bash the table and the water would spill out. And he said, when you're out in the mission field and you go through difficult times and people push your buttons, what's inside will spill out. When people push your buttons today, when they push your buttons this week, how will we react instinctively? Like Joseph, to just turn and run? Or will we stop and try and put a good argument together to say, no, 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 it's okay, I can be here. I'm strong enough, I can handle this. No, indeed. Let's react instinctively to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing it to us through your Son. Father, just help us to love it. Help us to learn it. Help us to live it. Help us, Father, to have such a delight within it that we will instinctively react in every situation as your word would want us to. In Jesus' name, amen.